one thing that is important, as I've seen, as my wife and I sit down and talk to couples, is that most couples, and by the way, couple means two united as one, don't see themselves as a true couple. They, they, they come for counseling, or they show up in a church, or they go most anywhere as two separate people who happen to be in the same room together. And what I'm saying is marriage means a merger in which two lives come together as one. And this whole idea that, that, that you have become, as husband and wife, one flesh is sadly lacking and almost void in the mindset of most married couples. So today I want to, to stress that because, in fact, I believe that uh, uh, the secret to, to a, a successful marriage is the realization that you are no longer two separate entities out here doing your own thing, but you've become one, and now you operate as a unit. And you're operating as a unit in such a way that you can now operate in unity and in harmony. And in order to emphasize that, I want to call your attention to what has become from early on what I would consider uh, my wife and I's life verse. And Lou, uh, which some of you met, was here last time, could not be here, uh, regrettably, she's attending to two of our adult sons who are now back at home again for various reasons, and so she's got her hands full on top of the fact she's in charge of running the office for Source Ministries. But uh, I want us to look at a verse in Philippians chapter 1, <coughs> verse 27. Now, this verse is, is talking about how um, the body of Christ is to function and how we are to treat and relate one to another. But in particular, I believe it pertains to families and specifically it can be applied to husband and wife. It says there, only let your conversation be as it becomes the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Like Roger mentioned about his view toward Elaine, I was uh, very much in love with my wife, Lou. I was in love with her uh, when I proposed to her. I was enamored by her. I was smitten by her. And I just wanted to spend all my life with her. She finally accepted and said uh, she would. And then we, of course, uh, had the privilege of being joined together in holy matrimony. But it wasn't as easy as it appeared that it might be. It's one thing to go visit your girlfriend and go out to get something to eat or go to a game or something together. It's quite another to live together, as, as was mentioned earlier, 24-7, where you're always uh, there with the other person. And suddenly I found there were new demands on me, new expectations of me, new requirements on me, new responsibilities for me. And I wasn't so sure about this deal. I mean, I liked her, I liked being with her, but it was all the obligations, all the, all the du duties, you know, the, the, the honeydew list of things that came along with the thing. I wasn't sure about all that. I mean, hey, I had my plans, I had my friends, I had places to go, you know, and had to go fishing and go hunting, and I had things I had in mind. But I began to realize she had things she had in mind. 
So that brought us to some points of conflict. Now, conflict is not necessarily bad if you deal with it properly and you learn from it. You know the old saying, learn from your mistakes. And I made a number of them. That first year was, was quite a challenging time for us. She was uh, busy starting into a full-time career, and I was trying to finish up my college studies and, and kept trying to find part-time jobs, which never seemed to work out. So there was a lot of frustrations, and we didn't have much money, and we didn't have many possessions. And, and uh, so uh, life was rather a challenge. And it was during that time I began to realize as, as a, although I'd been a Christian 10 years, a somewhat shallow Christian, I began to realize I needed to get the Lord in on this in a big way. Um, it all came to a head over such a small issue that I don't even remember what it was, but we got into some kind of disagreement which later became an argument. By the time it was over, I stomped out of the bedroom and said, well, I'm going to just go sleep on the couch. And I got down there on the couch, and I'm laying there on the couch, and I'm thinking, well, this is a couch isn't very comfortable, and, you know, I'm kind of liking sleeping next to this nice, warm, soft, cuddly person. And now what's the deal? I'm down on this old couch by myself, didn't even have a pillow, and I was miserable. And I laid there most of the night awake, thinking how stupid this is, but yet how stubborn I was. <laughs> Because I wasn't about to go up there and say I was wrong or say I was sorry because I was determined that I was right. And besides, who am I to have to go up there to her? She should come to me, you know. And by the next day, the Lord had brought some sense to me and caused me to realize that that was a very prideful and stubborn attitude. Uh, more so, he began to cause me to see that uh, I truly did need to get him in on this marriage in a big way and trust him to make a difference uh, in my life and in the way I related to my wife. So... As I was reading the scripture, it occurred to me that if God were to give me a scripture verse that I could, that I could use as a guideline, as I could use as a basis for our marriage, then I'd have something to trust him for, and I would have specific uh, instruction from him on how to proceed. And this verse is the one that he brought to my attention. So I want to read it again. He talks there about the importance of allowing or ensuring that your, your manner of life is such as becomes the gospel of Christ. So what he was saying is, as I was to relate to my wife, I was to ensure that my life was lived in relationship to her as in accordance with the Lord himself. And then he went on to say, um, skipping this interpersonal stuff that Paul talks about, he goes on to explain what that means. He says, stand fast in one spirit with one mind and working together for the faith of the gospel. So I, it caught my attention that what he was saying is that a relationship that is becoming and pleasing and honoring to Christ is a relationship that's based on oneness. A relationship that comes from seeing myself as one. Well, first of all, I had to see that I was one with him. And because I was one with him, he had made me one with her. But he had also made us one in a special way as husband and wife. And he caused me to see that I was still operating as a separate entity, still trying to hang on to my, to my rights as an individual. It's not that in marriage you lose yourself. Some people joke about how, well, okay, well, that's the end of you. Your, your life's all over. No, it just begins in a new way, in a new way. It's like the movie Jerry Maguire. And, 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 he, and, and he and this girl are talking, and all of a sudden, 
I think it's her, and she says, you or he says, you complete me. And the idea is, or we jokingly say, she's my better half. That's no joke. And we are each other's better half because together we make that whole because we do in that sense, by design, complete one another as God intends for us as two people to walk through this earth. And he intends that two people walk through the earth in agreement, which means in unison, in one accord, in a unified way. So he stress, the stress there is on being one, in one spirit and with one mind and together, which again has to do with the unity or unison of, of two in a combined effort, and this togetherness allows them to work together to achieve God's objectives, God's purposes. So we're, we're working together here for this higher purpose. Now, whether or not you're mindful of God or always thinking about God is not the issue here. The issue is that you have acknowledged Him as Lord of your life and acknowledged Him in all of the ways of your life to take control of and to lead and to guide in all that you do in the marriage, in the relationship. And what I'm saying equally applies to any and every kind of relationship. So if you're thinking, well, I'm not married, or my wife is gone, or, or we're divorced, or I never plan to get married, or, or maybe you're just so young you're not even thinking about marriage, it doesn't matter because this, what I'm sharing, applies to every kind of relationship. It's an attitude of how we view one another. So we're no longer viewing other people as though we're all out here as competitors or as we're all out here um, as opponents, but we're seeing each other as a way to interrelate. Now think of it like this. The Lord Jesus said, as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto who? Who does he say? He says, you've done it unto me. What could our Lord possibly be saying to us? Well, husbands, he's saying, as you treat your wife, you need to realize you've done it unto him. And wives, he's saying, as you treat your husband, you need to be aware you've done it unto the Lord. Because the Lord lives in you. Because the Lord is the owner of all of us. In him we live and move and have our being, every single human being is here in existence because of God's divine order of creation. We are made by God. So we belong to God because He is the creator. He's the owner. And we have an obligation to Him to honor Him. And part of how we honor Him is by how we treat one another. You know, some people are very conscientious about saying the blessing at the meal table. And that's a very uh, appropriate way to give respect and recognition to God for his provision for the meal. In fact, Roger and I were talking last night among ourselves about our mission travels, and he was saying how he had mentioned to some in the church, I don't know if it was this church, about how you ought to be real grateful about your food, and when you bless a meal on, in a third world country, you're serious. You're not just blessing, you're asking God to protect you and to, to take care of the food and, and kill all the germs and all the parasites and all the disease and every other thing, because you know that God has got to cover that meal because no telling what you might be eating. In fact, I, I had a friend that uh, had some bad chicken here, uh, read about him recently, and uh, he almost died. He was down in Mexico when that happened. It was very serious. And I was down in Mexico with somebody who ate some bad fish, and he got very sick. So this is serious. But 
as important as it is and as, as appropriate as it can be to ask God to bless a meal, you haven't done anything unless you're blessing God with your life. All you're doing is some religious jibber-jabber. And maybe, just maybe, you might be sincere in acknowledging God's provision of that food. But have you acknowledged His provision for your life? And are you being a blessing to the Lord? Bless the Lord, O my soul, says David. What's he saying? He's saying, I want my total life to bless God. And he's not talking about blessing your wife out either. He's talking about honoring your wife as unto the Lord, by regarding her as unto the Lord, so that when you address your wife or when you address your husband, you must see that you are, in effect, dealing with and relating to the Lord himself in that person. Jesus is in that person. Paul says, Christ in you. He's saying, don't you know the Lord lives in you? Don't you know this body is not your own? It is the Lord. He owns the body. He has the right to that body. He indwells your body. So as you address your spouse, your husband, your wife, or children toward your parents, or parents toward your children, you need to understand you are speaking as unto the Lord, so be careful who you talk to and how you talk to that person. Because you must talk to them with dignity and honor. Do your Lord God Almighty. This is serious. The way we treat each other is disgustingly despicable. And it is an abomination to the sight of God when he sees it. And I tell you, I hear some pretty, pretty rotten stuff going on. And uh, I hear reports of some, some pretty hideous things being said and done. You know, uh, th this one pastor's wife was saying, everybody thinks he's such a great guy and he's so nice and, and, and so proper toward me around everybody in the church. But if they only knew how he acted toward me when I was at home, how he takes me for granted, how he's so disrespectful for, toward me, so inconsiderate of me. Well, that's hypocrisy. That's living a lie. That's putting on a front. Now, is that to say that, that uh, we always all have to say the right thing and do the right thing in order to have a perfect marriage? No. There is no perfect marriage. There is a perfect Lord who offers a perfect life in him but that means that he takes imperfect people who make mistakes, who have flaws and have faults, and he teaches us how to deal with our imperfections so that he shows us when we put our foot in our mouth how to, how to address that and how to deal with those problems and, and how to resolve and, and, and uh, be reconciled. And we're going to talk at length about that later as we go into the study. But, but for this morning, I want us to come back and keep focused here on this thing about being one. Now he says, stand fast in one spirit with one mind. I want us to go over to the book of Ephesians and take note in chapter 4 about this idea of being one. Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul tells us in verse 4 that there is one body, one body. He then says there is one spirit, even as you are called to one hope of your calling. Then he further adds there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all, who is through all, and who is in all. 
he's saying again that, that God is a God of one. There is one God. And this one God has established one way. And Jesus Christ declared, I am that way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is saying to us that even as Christ is that one Lord, there is one faith. One way in which we are to depend upon him, and yet one faith in that there is but one Christian faith. Of which we are all a part in the family of God. And he's saying that there is one spirit, and it is the, the, the one spirit, the Holy Spirit, who brings us together as one in this whole relationship. Now, this matter of oneness is no small thing, and, and I, I'm going to talk about it in different ways to, to help you get the picture here of how important it is. But we have got to view ourselves as one. Over in uh, chapter 2, the Apostle Paul speaks of how the Lord has made provision for this oneness. Verse uh, 13 of Ephesians 2, he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made near by the blood of Christ. That is, you've been brought together and been united by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, he is our peace who has made both one. Now, the context here, don't get bogged down on the context. The context is about Jews and Gentiles being united as one. But the, the, the principle of truth of God's word here is that Whoever you are, wherever you are, he has made everyone one through Christ. So whether it be two separate individuals or two separate uh, races of people, two separate nationalities, whoever and wherever he has brought us together under one banner in Christ. And through Christ he's made us all one. So again we have to understand the nature of oneness. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you sometimes were far off or made near by the blood of Christ. So through Christ's death, God has made up a way whereby we can all be united and live in unity and live in harmony. And that way is through Christ. But he says he is our peace. Well, in many relationships, there is anything but peace. The only time you have peace is maybe when you're asleep or something. But that's, that's not the kind of peace he's talking about. He's talking about a peace that is in, in the relationship when things are going on and when, when issues come up. He is our peace. He has made both one, and it says he has broken down the middle wall of partition. Now, let me say, most of us come into our relationship, whether it be a marriage or any other, and we already have our guard up. We have our walls. We, we've got all kind of walls built. Walls of defense, walls of protection, well, walls to hide behind. But we've got all these walls. And what Christ comes to do is to tear down these walls, which are in fact barriers, which hinder us in our relationships. And we think they're going to protect us, but they really hinder us from being totally real, transparent, open, honest. All essentials in a true relationship. And Christ comes and he removes all those barriers and he takes away all the walls. And then through that, it says... Uh, he removed all that was opposed to us. And there in verse 15, it says, To make in himself of the two one new person, and so making peace. So that peace is not just something the Lord gives us, but he is the Prince of Peace. 
And when he enters into the picture, when he comes into our life and into the relationship of our marriage or of our family, he brings with him all that he is, and that includes, and in particular in this verse, deals with peace. So that he is as the peacemaker in our relationships, bringing that calm and settled effect over all those troubling issues that tend to rise in any family. I saw this in particular in, in, as a child growing up. Uh, my father, although he thought he was a Christian and knew much more about the Bible than my, ever, my, my mother ever would, uh, was not a Christian. He believed Bible facts, but he didn't know the Lord. There was no evidence of God in his life. Well, he was as moral as, as the next guy, but he had his, he had his ways about him, very, very strong and, and uh, very um, demanding and, and a lot of temper and anger and whatever. But I saw in my mother a gentleness and a peace, a quiet confidence in the Lord. Was she a doormat? No. But by the same token, she knew how to relate to my father. And she related to him in a way of depending on the Lord. And it was her dependency on the Lord, that very trust that Elaine made reference to, that allowed her to have the right attitude back toward my father when he would come in in a very demanding or overpowering way. And uh, believe me, as kids, we weren't too keen about all that. In fact, I can remember saying to my mother, I wish you'd just divorce him and let's get out of here. I want it out. I want it out. The mother would always lovingly be supportive and encouraging and reassuring until one day, by the grace of God, my dad met the Lord. Now, our family is still together. My mother's gone on to be with the Lord, but as a result, my, my three sisters and my brother came to know the Lord and many other people since then because my father has led quite a few people to the Lord himself because of his conversion. And all of that, I believe, was, it goes back to the fact that my mother purposed to see herself as one in that relationship, one with the Lord and one with my father. And she purposed to treat him as unto the Lord. You know, we're exhorted in Colossians that we're to do everything from the heart as unto the Lord. And so hers was a heartfelt love. And, you know, love endures all things. Pastor Roger made reference to 1 Corinthians 13. I would advise you to re-examine that because that is who Christ is in you. That's who the Holy Spirit wants to be through you. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And that love bears all things. And love covers a multitude of sins. And so the Lord was working through my mother not to condone my father's actions, but to overlook them. What about the song where it says, he, he looked beyond my faults and saw my needs? Well, hey, we're all there. We all have faults. We all have failures and mistakes, sins, and plenty of them. But the Lord looks beyond all of that, and he sees our needs. And as we look with the eyes of God at one another, we will begin to look beyond the momentary flaw, the failure to do this, why didn't you take care of that, you know? The one husband who said to his wife, well, you don't ever seem to get my clothes ironed, why don't you just iron them all one week ahead of time and then I'll have them when I need them? Of course, to that she said, but I got five kids, I got my hands full, what do you think, you know? And so, you know, there's a little bit of conflict going on there. And so right away he's thinking, well, she doesn't care about me, she cares about the kids. And right away, she's thinking all he cares about is his own stuff, and he doesn't care about me, and I got my hands full. And immediately, you've got two people on, on opposite sides here, butting heads. Instead of them seeing together as one and saying, wait a minute, we have 
not a problem, but an opportunity. We, uh, I, I, he's got to have some clothes. She's got to have some help with the kids. Let's work together. Let's find a way to resolve this. Let's work through it. But instead, both have their own view. Both want their own way. And they're not seen together. Lord, what is your way? You see, in a marriage, coming together is what means not my way versus your way, but his way. Now, Lord, what is your way? What do you want here? But instead, we pull back and we get up our defenses. My little grandson, Thomas, he's got this thing now. He sticks one foot forward and puts his fist like that and bangs into the other kid. You know, he's only two years old. But he's already figured out that if he shows a little momentum, he can knock the other person over. And in a marriage, sometimes we try to do that. We try to see who can get the first blow in, you know, to knock the momentum, you know, or get the other person off guard or whatever, as if we're opponents. You are not of opposite sides. In a marriage, you are on the same side. There's no opposition here. To be sure, you may have done things against one another. To be sure, you may have done things at times that have hurt one another. But that does not mean you are the enemy of one another. You are husband and wife, one flesh, in a one spirit union with the Lord, and you are one, not two as enemies, but together in this. And just because you happen to have said or done something in opposition to the other person which hurt them or offended them does not make you the enemy. And so whoever is the offending party, it doesn't mean the other one of us has to come back in retaliation. And yet so often I see in marriages, one will get hurt and the other one does something a little more spiteful just to hurt him back. The husband does something and then the wife will do something. And sometimes even as we're counseling, one of them will say something. Just really, you can see it's a real a mean thing they're saying. It's, a, it's just a vengeful thing. You've got to eradicate that approach from your life because that will not resolve anything. It will only make things worse. Maybe you feel like the person that's singing the song says, I just want to be mad for a while. I can understand you feel like you've been uh, taken advantage of or whatever. But we're going to look at why, although that's an understandable statement to make, it is a destructive attitude to have. And tonight or tomorrow night, we're going to get into why that's not going to be effective.